Yo, Solana Beach, California. Guess who's gonna get old live? Not old as in, Christ on a popsicle stick, this is boring. I'm talking about Jay and Silent Bob get old, mo fuckers. Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes are coming to the Belly Up Tavern on November 22nd. Don't miss the debauchery, Iggy B. Jay and Silent Bob get old, recording their podcast live at the Belly Up Tavern in Solana Beach, California, on November 22nd. Get your tickets for this and all other Smodco shows at csmod.com. Red State DVD and Blu-ray available now at coopersdell.com. Get exclusive bundle packages featuring posters, soundtracks, t-shirts, signed scripts, wardrobe used in the film, and a chance to be a guest on air with Kevin Smith via Skype. Red State DVD and Blu-ray exclusive bundles now at coopersdell.com. Smirch alert, smirch alert, motherfucker smirch alert. Go to smodcast.com slash smerchandise to get your official Jay and Silent Bob iPhone 4 cases from Casemate. Choose from three different snoogerific designs. We got soft ones and hard ones. Hey, I'm talking about the cases, bitch. All emblazoned with your favorite Smodco icons, Jay and Silent Bob. Snag your iPhone 4 case for $39.99 and protect the precious smodcast.com slash smerchandise yo Canada Jay and Silent Bob are gonna be royally mounting you December 7th in Vancouver December 8th Edmonton December 9th Calgary December 10th Saskatoon and December 11th Winnipeg their comedic maple syrup's gonna be gushing all over your timbits. How's that for a visual, eh? Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live in the Great White North. Linky links to tickets at smodcast.com slash get old in Canada. Hey, Eldborg, Iceland. On November 11th, Kevin Smith will be inside you. Kev is bringing his famous Q&A to Eldborg Main Hall, talking movies, comics, sex, taking a shit, whatever you want to ask about. Hilarity will ensue. Kevin Smith, live at the Eldborg Main Hall in Eldborg, Iceland, on November 11th. Links to tickets for this and all Smodco shows at csmod.com. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biatch. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck. Jay and Silent Bob get old. The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodgas.com. Scroll down and click on Smerchandise. Catch live video clips of Jay and Silent Bob Get Old and Hollywood Babylon on the Kevin Smith blog for the Huffington Post. Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. That's Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. Want early access to tickets for Smodcast Internet Radio's metric fuckton of live shows? Join Smodcast for just $4.99 a month 
you'll get CD quality audio of every podcast you hear on Sir ad free. It's like watching porn without having to fast forward through that goddamn plot. You'll also get bonus video content and other badass exclusives. Smodcast, where Smodcast goes save for pay. All the deets at Smodcast.com. This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Hollywood douchebag, Hollywood douchebag, Hollywood douchebag, Hollywood douchebag. Hollywood douchebag, Hollywood douchebag. He will love you like a brother. If that brother fucked your grandmother twice. Hollywood douchebag, Hollywood douchebag. Well, you know why you came to this town? 
there in the ether. Uh, how you doing, folks? Oh, I just knocked the table. I hate when I do that. Uh, and it's a busy table today. We have people here in the house. It's very exciting. Uh, first of all, I've got two guests on. I've only done that a couple of times before. And uh, the couple times I've done it before, they <laughs> were not this silly and funny. So I'm very excited about that. And um, hmm, what else? Uh, oh, yeah, it's fucking November. Jesus Christ, how did that happen? Um, and this weekend, we do the whole clock thing, which means we get an extra hour, but we get less daylight. So I don't know, figure that out, folks. I don't know what the physics are. Clearly, the baby Jesus is in charge of that, not me. Um, <laughs> Uh, today, I'm going to be answering some questions here on live, and my guests will answer some questions for you, too. Uh, if you tweet me at waking, A-M-E-R dream, waking Ammer dream, and uh, we will get your questions and we will answer them throughout the uh, podcast here. But a couple of uh, things of business. First of all, that song I just played was called Hollywood Douchebag. Duh. And uh, it is by the most fabulous Captain Danger. I highly recommend go out and check out his stuff on iTunes. He's got some very funny, clever stuff. He's got some really nice stuff. He's just a hardcore rocker and really one of the sweetest people ever, ever, ever. Really, really great guy. So check out um, Captain Danger's stuff. And um, today, actually, all the stuff I'm going to be playing is uh, from people I I know and love, which is very nice. We're going to play a little comedy. We're going to play a little music. And of course, we're going to do a lot of talking with my guests. Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, one thing is, uh, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I just feel like telling you this. It's Roseanne Barr's birthday. Yes. So uh, Roseanne's on Twitter at The Real Roseanne, if you want to wish her a happy birthday. She's in Hawaii. I'm sure eating some macadamia nuts as we speak. And uh, so sh I just wanted to say that. And um, what else? Uh, oh, yeah, I'm going to be up in Mill Valley uh, November 13th with my show, A Carlin Home Companion. You can go to my website, kellycarlin.com. 
and um, hit on the link, a Carlin Home Companion. And there's a ticket link there and you can read about my show. And so if you're in the Bay Area or if you know anyone in the Bay Area, please come by and see my show. It's at the Mill Valley Throckmorton Theater, the 142 Throckmorton, which is the most fantabulous little gem of a theater. And I've been told that um, Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton both um, performed on that stage because it was an old vaudeville stage. So, uh, and I've performed on that stage before with two people who are in my studio here today, which is uh, our little, our group Mind the Gap went up there and did some comedy and spoken word and music. So I'm excited about that. I'm really excited to just, I'll be up in the the whole Bay Area for about four days. Um, and, uh, you know, it's always a beautiful thing to be there in the fall because it, it's actually uh, clear skies and warm in the fall there because in the summer it's foggy and cold. I don't know. Please explain that to me, someone. Uh, the other exciting thing is that, um, I mean, this isn't exciting for you, but it's exciting for me because I got my Sirius XM radio delivered in the mail today so that I could actually listen to the channel, Channel 400, Carlin's Corner, which is my channel that um, I've created for my dad to play all of his comedy 24-7. And very soon we'll have some uh, some original stuff on there too, uh, different shows. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to have a show, my Uncle Patrick, and who knows who else will show up in the fine, fine Carlin tradition on, on the XM, the serious XM. I like to say, I like to put a the in front of everything because I just want to be old and kind of clueless. (laughs) I'm so tired of being sharp and clever and youthful. Uh, It's just, it's such a bore. Um, and what else, what else? I'm going to answer some questions, but before I do that also, I just want to mention, um, the passing of someone who's most likely, you don't know who this person is, but I thought I would introduce you to him. His name was James Hillman and he was the father of archetypal psychology, imaginal psychology. Uh, after young Carl Jung died, um, James Hillman, uh, actually, I believe studied, I don't know, directly under him, but went to Zurich and studied with some of the original Jungians. And um, he became the next person to kind of pick up the baton and really take depth psychology to a new level. And his the big thing he was really into was really talking about how um, wrong it is to pathologize um, just psychology in general, that any state of mind is one in which soul is trying to express itself through psyche and soul to him was not well here. I'll just read a little quote that he wrote by soul. I mean, first of all, a perspective rather than a substance, a viewpoint towards things rather than a thing itself. This this perspective is reflective. It mediates events and makes differences between ourselves and everything that happens Between us and events, between the doer and the deed, there is a reflective moment. And soul-making means differentiating this middle ground. He really believed that everything was the language of the soul, whether it was the environment itself or dreams or your own behaviors um, or the behavior of the culture, that he felt that it was something larger than ourselves, um, a viewpoint trying to kind of wake us up and... um, and not even wake us up because with Hillman, he didn't, he didn't like over, 
um, worship uh, that kind of aspect of psychology, which is about, you know, getting better and getting over your illness and, and being normal and being able to function perfectly in society. Uh, he liked the people who, who actually weren't functioning well because he felt that they had more to teach us than those who actually could fit into this uh, very strange world that we've created here in certainly Western culture. So I just wanted to introduce you to Mr. Hillman. He's got some amazing books out there. If you're into that kind of stuff, into the mystery of life, the poetics of life, the mythopoetic Joseph Campbell, Jung kind of stuff, uh, check out his books. And uh, I never got a chance to meet him, but he he taught at Pacifica where I went to school and got my uh, got my master's degree. <clears throat> so uh, so anyway, I'm going to switch gears here. I'm going to look at some of these questions here that I have coming in. And if you have questions, like I said, just find me on Twitter at um, Waking Ammer, A-M-E-R, Dream, Waking American Dream, and it's Waking Ammer Dream. And uh, let's see if we have any questions here. Um, I know I had one earlier from um, Dalek Craig. I follow a lot of Daleks on Twitter. I'm a Doctor Who fan. And there are Republican Daleks, there are communist Daleks, there's um, a liberal Dalek, hippie Dalek, gay Dalek. And I found myself following all of them. My favorite is Republican Dalek because anything evil um, that the right does, um, he claims it's all part of the plan um, to exterminate uh, everyone. It's really very funny. It's really good stuff. Um, so my first question from... Uh, Mr. Dalek Craig is, um, as a child, do you remember when you first became aware that your dad was famous? Wow, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I mean, I certainly, my mom told me a story that when I was like four years old, uh, three or four, she was really excited because my dad was going to be on TV. So this was like 66, 67, and she plopped me down in front of the TV and turned on the TV and uh, the whoever it was, Ed Sullivan or whoever it was, you know, said, and here is George Carlin. And, <sighs> and um, I guess my dad came walking out. And, you know, when you're a little kid, they're like a couple of inches tall on the TV. And then I could hear my dad's voice. And I proceeded to scream and run out of the room because I thought the big wooden box had eaten my father. <laughs> so I, I don't think I understood that he was famous. Um I think actually maybe the first moment of that was was when I was a, around the same age, maybe a little older, and I was on a New York City bus with my grandmother, Mary, Mary Beery Carlin, my father's mother. And um, we were going downtown to the zoo and the automat because that's what we did. And um, she was so funny because we would go into the monkey house at the Central Park Zoo. If, you were, if you've ever been to the Central Park Zoo, it's like this medieval zoo, basically, with these, you know, these rooms and stuff. And so the monkeys were in there and she would do this funny thing where she would click her fingers together and go, ooh, and uh, the monkeys would come running over and all the people would look at her like she was crazy. And of course, she felt like she was doing a show. So anyway, we were going to the zoo and we were on the bus and Grandma Mary said, um, oh, I want you to s sing that song, sing that downtown song. And she knew that I knew how to sing basically downtown. I didn't know any of the other words. I was four. So she would kind of, you know, get me into it and sing a little bit of it. And then I'd go downtown. And of course, she turned to all the perfect strangers on the bus and say, oh, isn't she fabulous? Oh, she's going to be a singer someday, you know, and I was very shy and I didn't like any of it. And and then she uh, turns to all of the perfect strangers on the bus and says, do you know who her father is? 
And I'm looking at her like, why would perfect strangers on a bus know who my daddy is? <gasps> oh, well, his name is George Carlin. And if you don't know him, pay attention. He's on the TV. He's going to be famous someday. And all I knew in that moment was, A, I don't really understand what any of this means. And Grandma Mary's creeping me out. <laughs> So I think that might have been like the first moment when I realized that strangers might know me or my dad or something like that. So I guess that's famous. Um, anyway, we'll get back to some questions in a little bit. I want to bring in my guest today. I don't have I did. I, you know, let me tell you, after the last few weeks, I've been really being a very good podcast host been doing research. I've been reading books. I've been finding out info from people and what their lives are and all the achievements. To, and today I just wanted to have some fun. So I invited some friends and I didn't even write a bio down for either one of these people. So whatever. I'm just a bad host today. Anyway, my guests today are the, what I like to call the comics comic, the man who understands comedy and, and really in the most purest sense of the word, Mr. Rick Overton. Welcome, Mr. Rick Overton. Thank you for having me on, Kel. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm a comics comic because by the time I get on, it's just basically comics in the back of the room. <laughs> Is that what that means? That's what it really, that's the actual meaning of it. Yeah. Now I understand. Yeah, and they all give you, they don't give you a laugh, they give you a recognition. Ah! <laughs> ah! Like that's, like, that might be similar to mine. <laughs> and my other guest today is a gentleman who has uh most recently i know toured with hal sparks all over the country he's i i like to think of chris as a renaissance man he's a painter in fact there's a painting of his sitting right behind his shoulder he's a musician he's a singer and he's a improver uh improvisationer improv whatever and a, certainly a, a fabulous stand-up comic mr chris bono hello <laughs> improvator i think improvatorian improtor 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 no what i mean something else completely i'm a drive improv guy that's yes no you are I what was would you like i'd like a uh, side of fries and uh could you uh do something with the suggestion. Could you uh, do some bugs? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, I have no plan for today or anything, but so I thought we would just kind of shoot the shit and talk and have some fun. And uh, but before we do that, Rick, I wanted to share with everyone a little something that Rick is up to. Yeah. Uh, Rick has uh, had a, an inspiration, and uh, he's created a organization. And so, Rick, tell us a little bit about this organization and where it came from and all of that. Well, I was always enamored with the whole idea of the USO. Mm. You know, Rob and Laura Petrie met at the USO, and my dad used to play piano for the USO wow. a little bit when he was in World War II. And uh, so USO always stuck in my head. Mm. And uh, the cute gals coming out in their matching outfits and thinking, singing three-part harmony and all that. Yes. And the comedian Bob Hope come out and go into dangerous places and entertain and... So uh, I thought, why not make one for this front line mm. conflict we're in right now and mm. call it the UHO and take out the word servicemen mm -hmm. and add humanity, which would, of course, automatically include servicemen, but everybody else, too. Right. 
if you're all going to stand side by side, I, I think we should give you all the same treatment and you, you're all in a greater service. Right. And so the front line specifically you're talking about right now is the Occupy 99%. Occupy 99% movement yeah. is the new conflict that we seem to be faced with and that uh, people are very bravely standing up against. Mm-hmm. Because a very clever and cunning enemy who uh, very much likes to belittle them firing firing uh kind of weaponry that's all in the you know the the media ability right. to ignore or put down or plant frank lunts like words in people's heads that they're just all dirty smelly hippies. hippie dirty hippies yeah you just sit out in a park for several days see how good you smell <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just see how you bankers smell once that you know cologne wears off. There's a layer because you know, and and the you know a lot of those people up in the tall buildings clinking champagne flutes. They're uh, the the that kind of their filth doesn't wash off because it's on the inside. Ow. And so That's like uh, more than a 24 day to- detox. No, uh, yeah, you know, nobody, nobody go in there. I was just in there. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, that's my, yeah. the devil just came out of my ass. Yeah. And, uh, and he's pissed and he's pissed. <laughs> fuck me. Fuck you. You don't shit me out. I shit you out. I, how'd this happen? And so, uh, reversed. Hey, what the, the world is upside down. Get me back up your ass. <laughs> where I belong. Um, and so uh, we're just in our baby stages right now. We're trying to figure out what we're going to be and how we can be helpful. Just, you know, I, 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 it's kind of like the movement itself. People saying, what's their goal? What's their this? What's right, their that? Right. And I was like, the goal is to make someone like you freak out like a fucking squirrel <laughs> in traffic. <laughs> like, like you don't know which way to go when on, oncoming traffic. That part, that they've already accomplished that mission. You're just bouncing off the wall now. I mean, yeah. they're doing something right. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know what they're doing. Good. Stay not knowing well, for a while. And I've been talking a lot about this the last few weeks, how much I love that because, um, you know, because the mainstream media can't get a hold of the narrative of it. They can't plant it into their little scripts that they have for the way the world works. They can't counterattack it. They can't counterattack it. They can't, they can't dismiss it. They can't dismantle it. And it's really, it's, it's a very organic, clever, I mean, it's not even a strategy. It's, it's like, you know, it's a strategy as if like a tree has a strategy because a tree knows what to do in order to flourish. It so seems like goodness is finally the good wind is blowing the other direction, yeah. and now evil looks evil instantaneously. Yeah, it really, uh, uh, it really all does. responses backfire. The you the cop punches a girl in the face. Check the map. Nine more red stick pins just went into all the cities that just awakened and thousands, you just made thousands of new protesters, yeah. you, you genius. There was, um, last night I was watching the live stream of the Oakland, uh, the Occupy Oakland and there's a, a guy on Twitter named Oak Fo Show. Mm-hmm. O-A-K-F-O-S-H-O. And he was running around, um, doing the live stream. I don't know if he had a phone or a laptop or something. But he was amazing. A, he was very smart and clever and he was really funny. And he was, but he was, they were surrounded by cops and stuff. They were downtown Oakland. But he was showing how, uh, there were some anarchists down there. Some people, we don't know if they were, um, uh, actual are, anarchists or actual people who had nah. been planted. Yeah, we, we call them new shoes. Yeah, we don't know. Look for the new shoes. But they, and they might uh. not have been the new shoes, um, because there are just some people out there just wanting to rabble rouse. But the great thing was they, uh, A, stopped them. 
they were they were going to good stopped them uh they somebody graffitied the wells fargo okay. the 99 or the 99 percenters the o- occupy oakland people went over cleaned off the wall in front of wells fargo and they said not because we like wells fargo but because we don't want the media to use this against we us, have a reputation what, and that's right. yeah I say get serious with those guys. If yeah. they're going to start doing that stuff, surround them like antibodies around a germ. Well, and they do, and they were really amazing the way they were handling them. And it was it was just inspiring to see like such clear-headed, pragmatic people on the mm-hmm. ground there who really – and then and also like they figured out how to um, – uh, There's they have medics now in these groups so that when the, the tear gas does come, they have – I guess it's Maalox, and what they do is they they lean back and open their eyes, and they pour Maalox in their eyes, and really? it takes out the sting of the tear gas right away. Whoa. Yeah. Wow! I yeah. didn't know that. That's a cool thing to know. I hear know. that. Just Occupy people, case. get your Maalox. Get your Maalox. Bring it with. That's right. Wow. But get it on tape first with the macing. If God forbid that happens, then Maalox the crap out of your eyes. <laughs> exactly. Get back to cool, man. <laughs> this is great to know. So the um so the UHO. I know that um. There's a Facebook page, uh, a like page on Facebook for, for it. UHO. And I, what I would love to do first is see what folks back east need. Yes. Because the there will weather. be a need sooner than we will out west. And what do they need? If do they need winterized things? Do they need, do you have an old warm tent that you could send their way? Find yeah, like, a way to get it to a friend that's back east and find grassroots this thing until yeah. we can get like reception centers set up or people that can create hubs for us because we're just getting going. I guess initially what we'll be doing is trying to organize bigger name entertainers to come out and make the people feel like they're not alone and, you know, that they got us on their side and keep their spirits high. Mm-hmm. Same thing the USO would have done. Yes, yeah. And uh, then get food drives and other th- there's other people doing all that already, but th- I don't think it hurts to have another group doing it. And then if you have a group out there, team with our group. Yeah. You know, make our group stronger by joining. Absolutely. Right? Now, the whole the whole point of all of this is joining yes together yeah, right and seeing where the needs are and and, and trying to meet the needs and and yeah, I'm we don't want to make any money we don't want to make a penny on no this. not at all and and there seems to be too like the occupy wall street people you know like they've got some big donations coming in and stuff like that but there's there's these smaller cities in the east coast that you know will probably need some help too that don't have like you know the the, the kind of the you know, I mean, uh, obviously the people in New York City have a lot of press attention. But when I was in Charlottesville last weekend, and there was a little Occupy Charlottesville going on, That's and right. it was great. You know, and played Charlottesville, I played Charlottesville. Did you? Which I just it? like being the. I want to be the young old comic that's been on the road. I played Charlottesville. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. It looked like a bank, but I think it was cored out, and uh, they had a one musician in the corner. <laughs> it was somebody's dad, and. Uh, <laughs> One of the waitresses said, please don't tip my father. He drinks. <laughs> or something like that. Nonetheless, continue your story. Don't mind me. You, just, you remind me of some sort of musician. I don't know who it is. It's not quite Johnny Cash, but it's someone like don't that. Don't tip my father. He drinks. <laughs> That's like because a quote. he'll fall right over. <laughs> just, I mean, he's been here too long. Anyway. He All sleeps right, in his car. Kablong. All right, folks. Uh, thanks for coming on by there. We're just going to get him up. He's okay. Let's just sit him up. <laughs> um, um, here I've got some questions coming in. Hold on, I there I saw a question here earlier for for Rick. Um, and I I'm just I'm going through my little feed here. Please excuse me, people. Um, please smoke them if you got them. Uh, someone wanted to know about doing uh imitations. 
Rick. What do you need? And uh, I, I don't know. I can't. I can't find what the question was. But um, I think it was something about oh, like what is your what was the hardest uh, imitation you've ever had to learn? Like what did you have to work hard on to do? I think maybe the toughest one I've ever had to do was Morgan Freeman. <laughs> he speaks in a low, rolling, lilting manner. Yeah. <laughs> like ripples on a pond. Never waves that go more than a foot high at a time. He's here to relax you. To make you feel like everything is all right. I like to hear him do some punk lyrics. Yeah, what do you got? <laughs> God save the queen. <laughs> she ain't no human being. <laughs> ain't got no future. It <laughs> sounds so lovely and pleasant. I need to take a nap now. Yeah, nine inch nails. <laughs> I want to fuck you like an animal. I want to touch you from the inside. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Johnny Cash covered that one, right? Oh, fucking like an animal. Like a horse. On the inside. Oh, June. Oh, good. My cheeks are already hurting. You still got it, baby. That was an improvisation on the song. All right, then. Woody Allen. Yeah. Help me get away from myself. Yeah. <laughs> I want to fuck you like like an animal, but uh, I'm still working on doing it like a human. I... <laughs> <laughs> nice and uh, Rick, I believe my my f- father called you at one point looking to learn how to do something. Yes, a certain impression, <laughs> which we did some several sessions of telephone coaching to do Sean Connery. <laughs> That was, of course, back when he was still doing films. Yes. Before, after that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen bullshite. <laughs> That's it. I'll be in Spain if anyone wants me. Kerslam. <laughs> <laughs> I just liked spelling Kerslam in my mind. Yeah. Is I do it? impression of your dad greeting me every time on the phone uh-huh. on this messages. Hello, douchebag. <laughs> Yay! It's Uncle George calling everybody. Hold the presses. Strangely, my my dad did not greet me that way. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine a different protocol kicked in. I would imagine, yes, a different, just a different one. Hey, kiddo, that was always his. Hey, kiddo. Hey, kiddo. Hey, cool. kiddo. Hey, kiddo. How you doing? That and Squirt. He used to call me Squirt. squirt. And he used to ask me when I was a little kid, um, are you a stink pot or a baby doll? <laughs> and the answer was always baby doll <laughs> I would never admit to being a stink pot stink pot, stink no. pot. I'm not a stink though pot. at times you did stink of pot I yes with a little help with from my dad <laughs> <laughs> and that story and others you can hear at my live show a carlin home companion congratulations that was a throckmorton thank you yeah i'm excited about the throckmorton yeah 13th up. 13th yeah sweet i know i love that theater mill valley mill valley where mark mark pitta, mark pitta does his show yeah yep. Yeah, and I'm hoping uh, maybe some fancy pants comedians will come by and sit in the audience who live in the area. 
I think my friend Sarah Rice lives out there. See, I did oh, a shout out without. Wait, she there. does, and I think she, I think she, she found me today. Oh, good, she saw us when we did mind the gap. Yes, on the um, Facebook, she yeah. found me, and you know, I said, you know, we're com- I'm coming up your way, and she was very excited about these Facebook that. people. All end up somehow cohering. They do, even though we all come from different directions. Yeah. We all mm-hmm. land on a page somewhere. Eventually, you end up at a Starbucks or a local coffee shop. Yes, which we prefer. Yeah. Right. Yes. Oh, did you see there on the web? I actually posted this one time because someone I saw it on someone's page, where uh, they were saying Yelp dot com is an interesting way to fight corporate um, restaurants. It's actually affecting the number of people that uh, eat at McDonald's and all these other wow. places because it's it's creating an interest again in local restaurants yes. and, and uh, home owned and family owned restaurants. You're right, and certainly the local ones would be getting the people saying, "Hey, you got to try this Thai restaurant yeah. or this thing," and I love not it. and not necessarily going, "Oh, you got to try the Chipotle uh, or the El Torito there because that's my favorite El Torito oh, in America." Yeah. <laughs> Thank God it's another fucking Fridays. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, I just want a logo I recognize. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> not familiar. It's true. You know, I was in Charlottesville and I drove from Dulles to Charlottesville by myself. It was all very grown up of me last weekend. And um, this is a person who used to have panic attack and uh, panic attack syndrome and agoraphobia. So I was driving and, and it was funny because, uh, you know, I thought, oh, this will be a good chance because I wanted to grab a little something, a little fast food between Dulles and Charlottesville, you know, to eat. And I'm like, oh, this will be a chance to kind of try their local whatever, you know, hijipiji or lati lati or whatever. And of course it was like Burger King, McDonald's, you know, and I was just like, really? We can't even get a regional place here. I, I did, I'm sure there's some regional places. And if there is pl- people, please let me know. So next time I come, I can check out the re, the regional, um, fast food because you know i don't really care what kills me just uh, as long as it's fast um uh someone asked a question here <laughs> make it make it swift will please aim well Shelley. you bastards uh, Sa- sarah said that you and i are both baby dolls Mentioning her. Aww. Not stink pots? We're not stink pots. You're baby We're VB dolls. dolls. <laughs> so um, I've got a question here uh, from Mr. Uh, Mark Hershon, a Mill Valleyite. Mark! Who, Marco, uh, Marco. Yes. And um, uh, he asks all of us any tricks to keeping a sense of humor about you when all seems dark and treacherous? Steve Martin keeps uh, some uh, Balonian issues. Ah, good. That. Well done. Yes. <laughs> um, and of course, I think if you just put the arrow on your head, as Steve Martin might, that could lighten the mood. That's helpful. Yeah. And uh-huh. has to be excused. <laughs> I think that if you curl up your upper lip, make your teeth dry. Oh, yeah. I love doing that. Make your teeth dry and curl up your upper lip and go, <laughs> in the face of, of uh, <laughs> adversity. Well, you see, when I do that, <laughs> I end up being Camilla. Oh, yes, I see. And I have left the corgis in the Range Rover again. <laughs> I do if I crack the window. <laughs> yeah, it's really being weird has a way of making uh, life's adversities not want to make direct eye contact it with you. It is true. <laughs> It wants like to just that. start the car and leave after this. <laughs> it backs away slowly. But officer, <laughs> I, I don't know how fast I'm going. You know, I don't read numbers. 
<laughs> when, you have, when you got that one open seat next to you, yeah. and you want to leave it that way, <laughs> you just sort of pat it while looking at people going, why is my hand sticky? Why is my hand sticky? <laughs> That's why they used to sell those plastic vomits. You just put it on the seat next to you at the baseball game. Oopsie. Oopsie. It was what it was called, I believe. It is what it was called. Oopsie. And I apologize for saying vomit on your show. (laughs) (laughs) Room got quiet. Seriously. And it's quiet here already. (laughs) My name is Hurl. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, for me, i um, studying Zen Buddhism. So uh, definitely uh, being Zen is about, about... in the same moment, holding the suffering of the world and not taking one iota of it seriously, you know, getting that it is the dream and yet there's also real shit going down. So I always try to remember that the great fool is kind of my hero and, uh, you know, and thus uh, putting vomit in a chair next to me would be something the great fool would do. Yeah. The great fool dead. The great fool. The great, the great fool, fool dead. dead. Rick. Yet another web page on Facebook we need to start. <laughs> Let's see how many we can start during the show today. Okay. Um what other th- questions do we have here? Oh, lots of fun people are watching us and listening to us. Someone yeah. asked if we could play some Frank Zappa. Wish I could. I could pretend to play. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Chris has got his guitar here. Chris is an amazing. um... (laughs) Watch out for the yellow snow. Something about the yellow snow. Of course, Frank Zappa, I get to hear. Captain Beefheart. Yeah, Captain Beefheart and all that. The only thing that sticks in my, my mind, because I was probably 12 or 13, was the Yellow Snow song. It took me about 25 years to hear anything else <laughs> that Frank Zappa did. And there's an amazing clip on YouTube, just to keep everybody on their computers, of, uh, of him playing a bicycle on The Tonight Show back when um, – uh, the first host, uh, tell me his name. Jack Parr. Jack Parr was on it. And he's like, look at this crazy kid. And so he's very young, skinny How old was he? 21. If that, I'm and guessing. He Jack had Parr. Jack Parr playing, you know, a part of a bicycle. Wow. Go look it up. Yeah. It's crazy. Fuzzy dice, bongos in the back. My ship of love is ready to attack. Fuzzy dice and bongos. Fuzzy dice and bongos. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so weird? I, Never got into Frank Zappa at all. My dad didn't have, I've got my dad's vinyl collection here. And, um, there are no, I don't think there's any Frank Zappa albums in there. And dad never turned me on to him. And I don't know what, I don't know what that was about. I feel like Zappa, get, uh, but Zappa Frank, was kind of his own rage against the machine. And oh, oh definitely. Totally. Everything that he did was unique and different. Almost to the point of un- unlistenable. But for many people, very much in jazz I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I like people that do things that are just irritating to the culture. <laughs> you know, I just, I do. It's like you, you need the fly in the ointment persons. You know. Well, according to some of my, f- my former girlfriends, I'll probably have a great career. <laughs> I love pretending that I'm Groucho just on occasion. <laughs> and the secret word. And the secret word is. Is ointment. <laughs> if a duck flies down right now, I will shit in my pants right Ooh, here. Ooh, wow. <laughs> That'll keep somebody from sitting next to you. <laughs> Why are my pants sticky? Why is my ass sticky? Why is my ass sticky? Someone is asking uh, us uh, what our favorite joke is. I don't know if this is a joke joke or, 
This is an impossible question, by the way. I just want to thank uh, Marco23, who is a friend of mine on Twitter's. Fuck you, Marco23. This is an impossible question, but it's a good one. Um, I don't, I can never remember joke jokes. So, but I love joke jokes. And the only one I can kind of remember is I can only remember the punchline. Mm-hmm. And it's a joke my dad told me at one point. And the, and the punchline is, you think that's kinky. I just shit in your purse. <laughs> <laughs> your engineer remembers that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. Matt's like, oh, yeah, I know. We I'll, told that I'll one fill on. you in later when, when yeah. we've got a moment. <laughs> So, you know, is there, it's like having favorite children. Is it possible even to have a favorite joke? I don't know. I don't think so. I always had an answer. For me, it was someone would say, oh, you're a comedian. Tell me a joke. Yeah. And it was uh, two dogs walking to a bar. One's got a psychiatrist on his head. Uh, The bartender says, we don't serve psychiatrists in here. And the dog said, that's no psychiatrist. That's my wife. Because I hate jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Used to love the uh, aristocrats, you know. Mm. I still think as well. You That's know my history of the aristocrats. Right? I do not know your history. I'm the guy it. that told Prevenz and Pan the joke. Oh, so you were the whatever that fancy word is, but you were the seed. You were the the originator, the, prema- the pre premature. And it was told to me. I told the var- the version told by my partner Roger Sullivan, who told oh, me the joke. Wow, so I'm the conveyor of the joke to those guys. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And what and what we're talking about, folks, is uh, we're talking about the film, the aristocrat, or the joke, but also the film, the aristocrats that Paul Provenza and Pendulette did, and they basically filmed a multitude of people telling the joke, and it's a very personal joke because you add your own, um, uh, you know, uh, f- f- flourishes to it, I, I guess, in some way. Yes, you could say that. Your own um, fetish, your own mental health issues. Your own- <laughs> it seems to happen. Without anyone trying, no. Yes. It's, it's two two synthetic goalposts, uh-huh. right? With you your just, football game in between, right? Right. right. You just need to get nice. from A to B, and as long as always you get the there, the same A, always the same B, right? And who the fuck knows in the middle, right? That's a beautiful thing, actually. That's yeah. that's really a a great construction of something because uh, it's 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 something that's um, culturally. You can you can pass it around and pass it down, and yet each individual can partake in it, which yeah. is uh, which is really lovely. Uh, interestingly enough, um, I, I've got a tweet here from someone who's commenting on my guest from last week. So this person's clearly behind a week, <laughs> and I'm a little worried about them. And they need to stop smoking the weed, <laughs> or maybe they need to smoke a little more. Yeah, um, <laughs> a little let's... coffee on top of that. Chase it. <laughs> Catch up. Uh, anything else here? Uh, so, um, wh- what else? Um, <clears throat> Chris, what, what have you been up to lately? What are you, uh, I've been drinking? I like to use the word drinking <laughs> just as a, in response to anything. Is it water? Uh, uh Coca-Cola? Liquids. liquids. I'm trying to keep loose, <laughs> lubricated. For flowing. Um, I've been, uh, yesterday I had a uh, personal uh, best day, at least in attempts to do creative things from different sides of my brain all in the same day. Right. I worked on illustrating a book in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, let's say, illustrate a book in the morning. Then what else did I do? That's it. Forgot. <laughs> uh, I'm so busy, I'd have to look at my calendar. Got to look at my calendar. Did you paint? Um, I didn't paint, but I, I was uh, painting in some way uh, on these books. Uh, oh, I illustra- uh, illustrated a book, then uh, worked on an illustrating book, then ran over and uh, to another side of town and worked on co-writing a script with uh, my uh, writing friend Matt Weinhold, and then took uh, for the first time and forever anything like this uh, songwriting class. Oh, with which, um, uh, with Harriet, Harriet Shock. 
Harriet Shock, yeah. It was the first time I that was like one untended area. So like, yeah. okay, I'm nervous. So I want to know about that about because it. you literally one of those people that you you can you play all sorts of you know covers and stuff like that, and then you're also a person who can pick up the guitar and just start playing it and <laughs> yeah. and write a song on the spot with yeah. suggestions from the audience. And, but then like actually remembering it afterwards, or even taping it and then writing it down and then playing it again is the challenge. And uh, then doing the masterful wordsmith thing right. that all of the cool people around me are doing that right. I respect so so well are so much. Uh, uh, is something that I'm, makes me nervous, mm. and uh, I have a dark, deep side that I want to share about <laughs> my pain. Yes. How do I tap into that and do it like my heroes, like Neil Finn and yeah. Elvis Costello? Sorry, Hal Sparks, I like Elvis Costello. I, Wait, I Hal doesn't like Elvis. He's like Elvis Costello. Uh, pound sand, you know. Really? He's not, we need to. He's not we need to kick Hal. He's a rocker, next... though, man, and he's actually turned me on to some stuff that I missed with oh. the rock. Well, there you go. Yeah. What was your question? <laughs> Well, what did you, what did you learn yesterday at your songwriting class? Did you learn? I learned that it's okay <laughs> if your phrasing is off. If you come from your heart, someone uh, won't say anything about it to your face. <laughs> you should see how cute. And eventually, you learn. Oh. Money well spent. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's worth the truth. every penny. Uh, where can people see your paintings, Chris? Uh, they can find my paintings on uh, a website called bonofideart.com. Brilliant. And it's two ends. It's two ends. One extra end for your pleasure. It's the only mnemonic trigger I've come up with. <laughs> That's so sad. I like that. Two ends, one extra end for your pleasure. And it's fide, F-I-D-E, you know, like bonofide. Right. Bonofide. And I, and I, Art. I have com. to tell you, your style is amazing, Chris. Uh, I Thank got you. Chris to paint a Billy Jack painting right for me. Uh, and and part of the reason is because, um, well, Billy Jack was my first crush. <laughs> I have to tell you, yeah, it's one of those kind of creepy little adolescent girl things. But I saw the movie and I thought, ooh, tough, tough man with the black hat who's, <laughs> who's willing to kick the people's asses who, who are hurting the nice Native American people. And I just, so I just got this fabulous painting I'm looking at right now and he's got this just, he's got that steely eye look of just don't fuck with me and my people. I'm going to take this foot and I'm going to put it on that side of your face. (laughs) And you know what? What? There's not a damn thing you can do about it. Go ahead and hate your neighbor. Go ahead and cheat a friend. Do it in the name of heaven. We can just fight in the end. I don't know the chords, but it doesn't matter. You recognize the song or you're not old enough. <laughs> One tin soldier rides away. Did you see the original movie he did in 68 with this chick on a motorcycle in a bikini riding around up and down PCH? And he fights with all these. Oh, someone give us the title of that film if you're listening now. Yeah, let us give it know. The, the original Sweet. Tom Laughlin that established Billy Jack just coming home from Nam, and that because Billy Jack like is the sequel line, to that so. film. So he was kind of like our Chuck Norris a little bit. Yeah, but he was a hippie. Sure. Chuck Norris is like a teabag guy, yeah. but he was this. He yeah. was a liberal who will. Fuck you up. Totally. Kick your Not ass afraid to kick the he ass. He would take his boots off and put a stinky Indians foot in, in your face. Movie, he man. was. He was. He was saving an Indian reservation. He, he was. That's how cool he was at the time. Um, right? He was a hop keto man. He was, yeah. Ah. 
Absolutely. Uh, very cool. So yeah, check out Chris's uh, paintings because you just, you have a great style. And, uh, Chris did a series last year of plates, uh, painting on <laughs> plates, which was just so fun and so just whimsical. Whimsical. That's what I would, Thank that's you. the word I would I'm use. Little whimsy. Describe you. I'm a fan of Terry Gilliam's films, the good ones, and, uh, Robin Williams and Rick Overton, of course, all those people who go off into flights of fancy. Yes. And the others I'm not mentioning. Flights of fancy. We don't have enough of that lately. No, silliness and imagination. Yeah. Rick Shapiro's the same way. The yeah. people don't understand him. And I think they should. Pure right brain. So beautiful poet, uh, beautiful poetry and weird imaginative stuff. And, uh, but here we are. Yes, thank you very much. Whimsy goes gets into the artwork as well. It, it certainly does, and and that's one thing I love about when you go and and you do the stand up and you play with uh, just you you and Rick too. There's this ability for you guys to trust the like like whatever's in the ether there, <laughs> and and pull out from there, or, or not even pull out. I mean, I think it just kind of comes through you and. So I, I've always been curious, what is it, was it a training you did or is it just who you, how you're wired that lets you put down the filter or what is, what is that? How, how, how does improvisers let that happen? I think we found out as kids before we had much of a description of why mm-hmm. we were saving our ass in some no. sort of circumstance <laughs> so from either true. a teacher looking at you weird or a bully cornering you and some weird animal impulse took over your mouth and made you say something that suddenly they liked you. And that's why a lot of comedians, they don't want to analyze what they did ever again because right. of that one childhood moment. No, I will ruin it if I start to analyze it. I got to leave it in that weird chamber where I never look it in the face. Mm-hmm. I summon its name and then I close my eyes and it takes over. Uh, mm, I like that. It's, it's a, it's like, it should be in, in someone who, who's got a real dark side, it would be their id. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is where the id meets the kid, you know? Yeah. And, right. and, and it's like the innocent version of your id. It's the impulsive animal that doesn't want to do harm, but does surprising weird stuff. Right. Yeah. So, right. Because the id is not necessarily good or bad, but it's the part that's just not controlled by the ego or the super ego, technically, in the, right. in the psychological terms. Great one so to be a free... commentator every ca- occasionally as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the most absurd ways. <laughs> I've also found Rick with bullies that mirroring is good. Hmm. Like, hey man, hey man, give me my books or whatever. You don't want to do that, man. It's stupid. You're gonna like what? Push me and get my books, and then like you know, eat your books. What about your own books? Uh, you go to class and you find out like you know the teachers gonna say like, what? You don't have your own books? They know they're Bono's books. What? Just anything. It's like, huh, hey what? man, huh? hey, what? What? Are you me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Am I kicking my own ass I'm, in the hallway? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like the little wires start to fry. What did you say? He threw the back at me. Oh, by the way, the uh, film was called The Born Losers. The Born, Born Losers. Losers. <laughs> oh man, it was like '66, '67, something like that. Yeah. She's riding a little Honda 305. Drawing my head, one of those, and like. Uh, it's insane. The badass bikers and the sheriff in town. I would, I would, yeah, we'll have to. I'll have to look. look we gotta have it. a party one night and see it. It's yes, great and it's heavy. Party. There's some like weird rape stuff in there. Wow. Kind of weird, like you know, like not what are you people doing? while this wearing is, a hat. Not- <laughs> yeah, and he when he because when he takes revenge, he just fucking weird. goes for it. Yeah. It's weird it's rape. Weird. I, I want to thank Coldfoot Films for that information. Oh, very good. Thanks. 
They've got a, his, a husky hey, as their avatar. Speaking of films, can I toss one out to tell people that it helps other people? Yes. Uh, I'm in a film called uh, uh, the uh, – I don't remember the name of it. <laughs> it's Judy Toll, The Funniest Woman You Never Heard Of. Oh. And, um, miss, miss me some Judy. Yeah, mm. we love Judy. And, and uh, she got melanoma and she passed away. And she's one of the funniest mm. people I have ever met in my life. I'm mm. um, working on uh, illustrating a book with her brother, Gary Toll. And oh. That's what um, put it in my consciousness again. It's this a morning. brilliant family. And yeah. you can find it at Amazon.com. And uh, the money goes, I believe, to the – is it the John Wayne Cancer Foundation? I think that's what it is. Probably, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So um, take a look at it. I'll put a link on my Facebook page. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Et cetera. I, I'm sorry I never knew Judy. I – but I'm lucky enough to know some people who were very close to her mm. and loved her dearly. And you were one of them. And Wendy Hammers and uh, a couple other people that I've met would just go on. and oh, Bar- Kathy Griffin was a very close yeah, friend. Yeah, Barbara and, Roman, too. I mean, just yeah. a bunch of people. It's like, ah. Oh. We kind of started together. Did you? Yeah. No. I remember her, Andrea Dice Clay. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. That's great. That's yeah. fabulous. So, nonetheless, there you go. Now that brought her butter down. Whatever. Uh, it's okay. Rape wearing a funny hat. <laughs> that, uh, uh, I have a question here up. for me from uh, Dylan Brody. <clears throat> and Dylan wants to know if there is a recording of the Curly McDimple audition. What is that? So, what that is, is um, when I was a little kid, I was a big Shirley Temple fan. You know, I, being a girl, wanted to be Shirley Temple, mm-hmm. basically. I wanted to tap dance and sing my way through and life. What did you want in your soup? <laughs> Animal crackers in my soup. <laughs> Were you able to come up and down the stairwell? Taps? Uh, able to do that number? I could, I could fake it pretty damn good. You know what I'm saying. But when I was in New York, when I was... Um, Summer when I turned nine years old, we were there uh, staying in the Plaza Hotel for a month. Because we could. And um, downstairs in the in the basement of the plaza at the time was a uh, off-Broadway theater. And so there was this play going on there called Curly McDimple. And Curly McDimple was a musical. And it was a spoof on Shirley Temple type stuff. And we would I, I went every single night that the play was on. And was fascinated because there was a young girl who was about 11 years old, I think, who was playing the Curly McDimple part. And it was like the first time I ever saw like a kid on stage doing what I wanted and doing Shirley Temple. And, uh, of course, because I hung out for like three or four weeks and was there every night, I became really good friends with the star of the show. And, uh, at some point they, the producers were talking about producing it on the, on the West Coast. And they let me dress up in the outfit and because I knew all the words to all the songs and actually do an audition of Curly McDimple. So the answer to your question, Mr. Dylan Brody is, no. <laughs> there is no recording of the Curly McDimple audition. Is there a photograph? There is a photograph. And I actually, I used to talk about it in a Carlin Home Companion, but we've kind of cut that section out. Um, but I will, uh, I'll put, I'll put the picture of me in the Mae West scene, uh, up on wow. my Facebook page. Yeah. It's, I've got a big, uh, Maybe as, you know, do it like a DVD extras kind of thing at the end of the oh, show with cool. the credits roll, you know? Right. There you go. That's a good idea. 
Um, so there's uh, someone here on Twitter, um, a friend of mine named Krobama. Krobama. His, hey, Krobama. You must know Krobama. Yeah. He, he Darren, he's great. He out with me and Rick sometimes on Tuesdays on he, the radio show. Yeah, and he's got his own um, blog talk radio show that he does on Fridays. It's called Dylan Brody's Neighbor's Couch. Yeah, what a brilliant. <laughs> and the premise <laughs> is, is that Darren... Who was um, <laughs> who was agoraphobic and has panic attack syndrome? He and I have that in common. Uh, has driven across the country, and because well, Dylan Brody good. said you could come and stay on my couch, well, of course, when he got to Dylan Brody's house, he said, "Actually, you're going to stay on my neighbor's couch." And then, of course, he found out that the neighbor's couch was on the curb. No. So the premise of the radio show is that you come and you sit on Dylan Brody's neighbor's couch with Darren, and he interviews you for thirty minutes outdoors. Outdoors. Nice. Uh, his question is for everyone here in the room, uh, for you and your guests, what is the secret of comedy timing? That timing. was bad. Let's <laughs> <Just bad. laughs> <laughs> well, see the comedy timing. Uh, timing. Oh, oh, boy. The secret of comedy timing is establish a pattern no, and then break it. Secret of comedy. And then I wrote, I said timing. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was, oh, see, that's how see. bad the joke was that oh. I didn't. <laughs> no, you said timing right with the sentence. Right, which because is it was brilliant. bad timing, right? So anyway. Uh, so part of it, I, t- timing is part of that. Mm-hmm. What else is the secret of comedy? I think it's like rubbing your teeth <laughs> and lifting your okay. lip up above it right. occasionally, which okay. is great to do on radio. Yeah, I know, because no one's getting how stupid I look right now. But you know how stupid I look right now. <laughs> I like to That's hot. Thank it's you. very British. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's so hot. I love it. <laughs> you know what I think the secret of comedy is? Hmm. Making people laugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're up there doing about 25 minutes and stuff's been thrown at you. Yeah. It's not comedy. You're probably one of the 1%. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the secret to really refined when you found your own voice, when they say you found your voice, mm-hmm. it's all your actual opinions with jokes added on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want the technical, if I were to be teaching a, a more advanced class, yes. I'd say at first you're saying anything just because it worked. Right. And it doesn't mean that re- you really think that. Right. But I'd say at your finest, highest point, it's everything you actually mean. Plus, it's where your dad said, you know, when his, most of his opinions were just uh, adorned with humorous twists and turns. Right. But you sit in a cafe and talk with him, it's all the same opinion. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have no opinion on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking Rick's class as well. <laughs> well, I hope that answers your question. Um, okay, question for Rick and Chris. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite George Carlin bit? Mm. <laughs> That's like kids again, isn't it? Oh, and this is from Andrew Posner. I just have to tell you all about Andrew Posner. Please do. And so I run a Facebook page called the Official George Carlin Fan Fan Page, and it turned into a group actually. And it's a group, and you have to ask to belong, and I approve you or not. And um, Andrew's on the page, and he's uh, I think he's in college. I think he's just turned eighteen. He's mm. a youngin, but he's really smart. And uh, has our attitude, if you know what I mean. And Paul Provenza and I, we were there was a lot of talk uh, earlier this summer. We, uh, we were doing a lot of discussions about comedy and censorship and all this kind of stuff. And Andrew was chiming in a lot. And Paul and I just kept saying that we wanted to adopt Andrew. <laughs> and and at one point, um, I think I think it was Andrew. You know, and Andrew, you let me know if this is wrong or not. His um, mom 
came uh, saw the page or saw him posting or something and was a little upset about the language on the hmm. thing. And he told her, well, you're just going to have to mind your own business, mom, because I'm part of the George Carlin fan page and this wow. is my group. All so, right. so yeah. So Andrew's the one asking the question, what uh, our favorite George Carlin bit is? Favorites. <sighs> I hate favorite questions. I, I do too. I mean, I, I got to see him live do the, uh, during the You Are Disease tour. Right. In Vegas. And it was amazing. <laughs> in Vegas too. In Vegas. Yeah, it's fine. And <laughs> I knew. They were really diseased in I, Vegas. <laughs> I was. Taking care of myself that year was I had I was one of those people that was like well let's see are they going to buy the pilot or not right and then uh, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting fuck it I'm going to get the credit card and yeah. then was like well good George Carlin I've never seen him I am going to see George Carlin damn it and I it was like eighty five fine good and my cousin too and we saw him and it was just full of vitriol and fire and yeah. I loved every moment of it but my thing. Bit. <laughs> I think I do like that thing where he talks about the airplanes. You know, let's now is like, oh, you're doing airplane material. But when he's like, you know, yeah. oh, what, what do you mean? Like, you know, they're trying to take off. They, what about a, what about one of those forks they give you? <laughs> those little plastic forks. A guy could stab somebody in the neck with that and a jugular. You hit the right part. Or like some fellow with big hands. <laughs> what about a fellow with big hands? That can strangle a good stu- stewardess in a minute, you know. Carry on. Yeah. Carrying a dead elk onto the plane. Yeah. Yeah. And the personal property. Well, what did I do? Bring public property on board? <laughs> I love those. You know. Get on the plane. No, get, no I'm getting, getting in, in the, the plane. plane. We leave all of the, we're getting, leave uh, get uh, evil all the evil Knievels to get on the plane, uh, yeah, and and the front and the and your seat back in its forward position and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. I, you it's know, so, it was yeah, it very, was cl- very very clever, 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 smart. Absolutely. I love I love the genius core elemental reductionism of a place for your stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. That's, that's, that's so much about human. Like right now, <laughs> uh, Occupy movement. Yeah. Could should go back and listen to that. It, that says so much about what are our motives. You know, ever notice that your shit is stuff and their stuff is shit? You know, that kind of thing about ownership and possession and materialism. He covered so much territory with that. He probably planted a rudimentary, slow-growing tree seed that has flourished into the way we think now. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't doubt it one second. It turned my my thoughts around completely. Yeah. I went, oh, my God, is right. Elemental. Yeah. Lightning strike. Yeah. That's, I think about it every time I move. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and when my dad died, he had three storage units, and and they were the place for his stuff. And I kept telling the people, I'm now in charge of my dad's stuff, which actually <laughs> makes it shit because it's not my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it it's comes full very circle. It, it does. That's like one of those surreal things about my life. It's like, oh, that's very strange. You know, I don't have a favorite, um, but I, I, I tell you what's really up there in like the top five is the walk, the segmented walking fart. Any kind of fart joke that my dad did always made me very, very happy. <laughs> truly, truly. Um, I'm looking here at other questions. Um, what, what else? Um, what else can we talk about here? Um, the uh, oh, Rick, t- share with us a little bit about your dad. 
and and who he was and and your mom too i just uh, i rick and i did a, a long a long interview that i have on videotape it was a pilot for a show that i want to do and we talked a lot about jazz and and comedy and uh i'd love for you to share a little bit with the audience about your roots and where you came from my dad was Polonius Monk's one of his arrangers. It's certainly his big band arranger. Uh, if you have the uh, Monk at Town Hall, that's my dad's arrangement. His name was Hall Overton, like a hallway. Hall Overton. He taught at Juilliard, and uh, he helped invent bebop jazz. Mm. If you have the Jazz Loft series, that was my dad's loft. Mm. You guys are all mm. coming in here. This old reel-to-reel tape of these wow. imperfect, beautifully imperfect sessions where they're figuring out how bebop works. Wow experimenting, listening to the process rather than the finished product, which mm. is really a cool thing to have, you mm. know. And comics love jazz a lot of the time because we share the element of uh, the employment of slang because jazz mm. is musical slang. Yeah. It's taking what was prescribed as the system and then intentionally abbreviating and modifying it and then saying this is the new form at least until someone does the same process to it again you know take it into rock or wherever and uh so i would see comedians opening for my dad hmm. and wow. mom too and i would think yeah i could maybe that would be my thing that i do cuz i like the word version of it you mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. but the guys in the combo you'd see them talking to each other they're just talking through the instruments mm -hmm. my dad would do a little like on the piano and the two other two cats start laughing during mm. the song because they, he just, it's like dolphins talking. Yep. He just said something to <laughs> yep. them. Yep. Yep. And, so uh, cool. my mom was, he met my mom in the Tommy Tucker and his two timers gig and she was, uh, <laughs> yeah, right after World War II wow. and, uh, they, she was, uh, in this, uh, Ray Heatherton's group, the Heather Tones. Mm-hmm. And on the Burt Parks TV show, black and white kinescope tap dancing on stage with a big Chesterfields cart on, on, you know, and stuff and doing all that, all those live commercials with a dog that wouldn't eat the dog food and stuff, you know, <laughs> and they'd sing numbers that they rehearsed. And, and then they, she switched and became, uh, just after the Cordettes had a tour, one of the gals fell out and she took over and became one of the Cordettes. And their big hit. Lollipop and Mr. Sandman, I mean, which was, they were the, oh, they were the transitional amazing. girl groups into rock and roll. Yes. That amazing. was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause before that, all the girls were like the, uh, Andrews sisters. Right. Sort of the, the wartime four part harmony and they took it into the next style. So I think dad's kind of taking something to the next place inspired her to take it to the next place. That's so cool. What a crazy, And they awesome had comedians comedy. opening in front of them too and I would sit there and watch and right. I think, okay, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. You know, I just, I find that musical time so interesting because it was the big band and those like Andrew sisters, Lennon sisters type of things. Yeah. And, and then there was black music mm. and jazz. Right. And, that and then that interesting thing that happened to make rock and roll that the interesting ingredients of how the the you know different elements yeah. from each part of it came together yeah. who was i'm just curious who do you think was the earliest rock and roll singer songwriter musician band i mean what what where was that thing where it tipped into rock finally uh, well you know it's a lot of debates on that yeah the, sure. the fierce haley guys they'll say Bill it's only haley. was Bill right. haley and then there's 
You know, because there was guys before Elvis. Right. And that was, and that's, so that's like that rockabilly. Gave him the gig because they needed the next guy that did that. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was, and that was really an interesting combination of, you know, that, that, that black, you know, yeah, some shake guys your are, ass. The, the Haley versus the Barry camp. Right. Right. Fish shaking their fists at each other and, and, you know. Yeah. And, barroom debates about who got it all started and everything like that came out came out you know a lot of they say a lot of the blues guys just sped it up a little bit right and uh oh let there be light let there be light i just turned on the lights i'm always fascinated with that in a culture like what what is that it's like that the kind of like stewing the pieces are stewing together and then it goes and then it tips and there's a new thing that happens yeah you know and i just i'm fascinated by that moment of the tipping point of you know and, and it's like you take one step away from it and, and go back in its history one or two steps and it's it's not rock and roll anymore and then you take two steps forward and it's it's fully rock and roll and and kind of the roots of it are 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 you can hear it if you really know it to listen for, you know, it's like listening to early Rolling Stones, you know, it's like you can, you can hear how influenced they are by black artists. Yeah. It's, mm. it's incredible. The blues. I mean, it's all the Rolling Stones are the blues, oh, yeah. basically. Yeah. Once they're out of their original stuff, it's pure covers of blues. Yes, totally. Right. Absolutely. Flip it over. Nothing but covers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, songs, it's yeah. really, really very cool. So, but uh, you know, and people say, well, they stole all these things. They, uh, yeah, I guess they did. Maybe they paid the rights. Maybe they didn't. But what they did show was a bunch of white guys accepting a black thing. Yes. And in its era, it doesn't look the same to us right now. Mm-hmm. But in that era, that was monumental. Yeah. Uh, right. It was an era when, you know, having Harry Belafonte be a, a lead mm-hmm. in a film or something like that right. was mm-hmm. that level. And the, the mm-hmm. people... That was a giant quantum leap for the for the marketplace, right? Right. To you know, eventually, slowly yep. wean the consciousness out of the previous yep. centuries' crap. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's funny because you know, my dad would talk about that. How you know the the guys they they stole black music and turned it into rock and roll, and and yet. Uh, you know, I think, and like you said, maybe that, maybe that on some technical legal level, there was some stealing going on, but I think it's a, I think it's a, a huge compliment to, I mean, to say that, you know, this is, that we feel this too, that, you know, that, that whatever the, the pain or your culture or whatever that music was built on, there's something human about it all mm-hmm. that. You're telling our story it, as well. Yes, because like, it's a you know human yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, hey, exactly. you guys are only being hear, heard by, you guys and gals are only being heard by a limited group let me just see if i'm going to try to bring it over here well and, and i'm you know i mean even for me i mean it's basically you know ass shaking too i mean you know white girls want to shake their ass <laughs> yeah. i love your parties <laughs> yes we do a lot of white girl girls. ass, ass of shaking here ass yes girls. we do yeah, yeah. <laughs> booty booty jiggle yeah. Um, I've got an, um, some more questions here. Um, thank you, Rick, for sharing that. I just love the history of, with, uh, you're uh, just, it's always. We came out of show folk families. Gosh darn, we came, popped right out of uh, them. My like, uncle was a bass player in a band called the Sixpence that later became the Fun and Games Commission. And, uh, they had a top 100 hit called, uh, The Grooviest Girl in the World. All right. Wait, and they played in my living room. What was that song, The Grooviest Girl in the World? She's the grooviest girl in the world. She's the essence of portrait of grace. 
she's the grooviest girl in the world. You know, one of those. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that one you can I'm find on YouTube. As soon as I'm home, man, yeah. I'm putting that link up. <laughs> they had a Houston hit called Summer Girl. I want you to be my summer girl, my summer girl. So roughly three months is what you're saying. That's it. <laughs> then they were out of the business. Fired. Falls here. Bye-bye. Goodbye. That one was just Watch a short hit. my stuff hit. on the lawn? Wait a minute. But, yeah, so we had that, and my dad was the uh, funny one. <laughs> was he? He walked. He would walk. I, when I was a kid, about probably eleven or twelve, just getting taller than the other kids. Mm-hmm. We went to a party. All ran into the room, and I was standing, you know, low enough to hear the conversations. And there was a circle of people that were going like, "Joe Bono's here. Yeah, Bono's Bono's here. Oh yeah, Bono's here." <laughs> Saw my dad's glass of you know, like li- little uh-huh. short drinking glass uh-huh. from that time. Walked up, said a few things. All of them were on the floor. <laughs> oh, that's and great, they hit it a man. couple more times. <laughs> Oh, that's that's just awesome. nonstop, and I always wanted to be him. Mm. And he brought in every comedian, brought in, uh, you know, he let me have Occupation Fool and mm. and all that stuff. And uh, I would, and I bring my friends in to listen to that. And found out later that half of them, their parents wouldn't. I bet. Well, I can't believe that. you you read <laughs> comic books and listened to George Who. How dare you! Awesome. What was your first? Um, uh, you know, I did. Sc- sketches and skits and stuff with my friends as a kid and i had my impressions i did you know lily tomlin's characters and you did ernestine i did i and well yeah i I, and i i did edith ann Uh and (laughs) and then i um when i was really little i used to do uh, my ethel merman there's no business like show business (laughs) i was six when i first did that awesome uh and um and then i used to do and i can't i'd have to watch it again but i used to do um on the carol burnett show there was the uh sketch where they would do the one where it was the midwest family and uh vicky uh and vicky lawrence played the sister and um, they would talk about Yahtzee and stuff. And I had like I had some bits that I would do, and I wrote some extra lines. And I could, I would do uh, Vicky Lawrence. She would play Mama. That's what it is. Vicky Lawrence Mama's would play Mama. House, yeah. And I would play Mama, and I would improvise Mama around the house and crack my dad up. And there was nothing better than cracking my fucking dad up. So I just I have such a, and so and I and I distinct for me that was my TV enculturation. You know, I was yeah. doing what I saw on TV. Um, was there anything like that for you that you did at that age? Um, well, I, I, it's funny because, uh, when I was a kid, they got me a little guitar. Mm-hmm. And I love the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And so eventually someone got me a wig. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> mop top. And I had a little mop top wig and I nice. played my guitar and there's pictures of me in my pajamas, you know, playing and stuff. And then they'd try to bring me to family events where there were more family, uh. because I'm Sicilian, there's more family people I've ever seen in my life. Right. It's like, Chris, he does this thing. Oh. It's wonderful. Let me out. Just to make and me I do that too. I have yeah. this memory yeah. of walking out with uh, my little guitar and going, ah, and then running to my, <laughs> running to my aunt's room, going like, ah, I can't do it. I can't do it too many. I'm not ready. I hated it too. My parents, all, my parents, their therapist at one point was like, stop pushing Kelly to do voices in front of people. She hates it. It's uncomfortable for her. She will not, she'll stop speaking altogether. We don't need her just writing on pads. <laughs> she's writing things down again. Yes. She's well, making lists. She's talking through puppets. Stop it. <laughs> and for you, Rick, what were you, what silliness were you doing as a young man in New Jersey? Yeah, I kind of had no problem with it. Yeah. I, I was my saving because I'm dyslexic and I had. That's like, right. 
in school, they put me in like the weird class for a while, and I immediately started to instead of duke my way out, I joked my way out. Right, right. So I knew this was a <clears throat> a safety zone and even a, a manner by which I could control a larger circumstance. Right. And I wanted to have the safety of that level of control, mm. so I so I tried to fine tune doing that as often as I could, mm. uh, and practice at any opportunity to do it. So I would perpetuate that sensation of safety mm. and make, you know, it got girls to like me. It got the cool kids to want me in their circle and things like that. So, and teachers to back off on my bad grades and things like right, that. So right. it, it had every manner of good attached to it. Yeah. Very little downside. There was the rare teacher who didn't like it. Right. And I found out the hard way. But well, you're I, a smart aleck. Yeah. yeah. How are you? Did you just say what I think you said to me? Yeah. And the princi- <laughs> Is that some sort of joke? Yeah. The, the principal like, Richard, 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 <laughs> you know which classrooms to do that in. I didn't mean to set your early life in the 1940s. <laughs> Why, well, <I> say. <laughs> Is that say. right, fella? <laughs> <laughs> Why, for two cents, I'd... What's the 40s? It would just be one cent. <laughs> one cent. <laughs> Oh, I, I kept going and would, uh, I, I remember touching base with my dad saying, uh, like, okay, I got a joke. Mm. And he's like, all right. And then I told it and, he, and, and there was nothing. <laughs> no response. <laughs> and this is like 14 years, 14 years old. Oh. And I was like the goofball. I mean, what I definitely was the joke? like, Can you oh, the joke? I can't remember. It was oh, probably man. like, uh, hey there, you know, the there line. was a horse went to the water and it drinks <laughs> some water and, uh, he didn't drink it because no one was, um, trying to make him. I have no idea what it was, but but uh, he went. You know that's all right. You know you are funny. You're always funny. Just right. be yourself and don't mm. try. You know because I was trying. I wanted right. to be that guy that I, I listen. We again we listen to so much comedy. You know, uh, my mom to this advice. day. My mom to this day will call me and say, "I just wanted you to know, Don Rickles is on TV tonight." <laughs> <laughs> she, oh, she that's has, nice. Because they love that. On their honeymoon, they saw uh, Don Rickles live in Vegas. Oh, great. And oh, they met the wow. Rat Pack. Wow. They met four of the Rat Pack uh, yeah. and got the autographs. And, you know, and, and uh, Sammy epic. Davis was there. And Dean was like, you can't read that paper. And took the paper away from him. And they were just. Oh, oh. oh. oh that's so yeah. cool. That's cool. So show business has been like, yeah. you're going to go there. Yeah. I know you're going to go there. <laughs> Yeah, it it has that lure. It does definitely. Yeah, yeah it, it's you know I it's so funny the uh, kind of the it's not showbiz. I don't know what it is. I, you know, growing up in this town in particular, it um you know part of you wants to be a part of it all, and then at a certain age you start to see well you know, and I think really like in I guess it was like the mid eighties, mm. the, the accountants and the corporations took over everything, and they took over everything in general, but they really took over this business and yeah the accountant and the, the be- it just yep. became the bottom line of we just want the if you remember in predator, yes, when he pulls his visor down, he mm-hmm. doesn't read light, he can only read heat right. Mm. The business became like they're only heat registering, they're infrared, yep. and so the hottest comic isn't always the best comic. Yeah. Oh, and, right. But he's the one that would jam the room, and they're wow. trying to fill seats, and the death of art comes yeah, from just the a- registration. A- absolutely, heat. and and just in you know, and that and and filmmaking and television and everything. I mean, it all just it all skewed so much, and I always felt so torn about that because I wanted, well, a a part of me thought that if you know if I wasn't entertaining and having 10,000 people approve of me immediately, then it wasn't worth anything because right. I didn't understand that you actually have to kind of have an experience of life where you 
build your way and learn your craft. And at first, two people will notice you. And then if you're mm. lucky, eight. And then, uh, but all I ever saw was thousands of people loving my wow. dad. So it was really, really Being on the inside growing up in it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, and, 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 and like any, any accomplishment that I did do in the business, it always felt empty because mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, even if it was fine for where I was at. I mean, one example is this, um, my dad did a sitcom pilot called Apartment 2C for HBO. Yeah. And, um, it was just a pilot. And I asked my dad, I think I want to be in it, you know, and he wrote this really great part for me. And it was a punk rock girl scout who comes to the door and delivers cookies. And actually, I show it in my, my show, A Carlin oh, Home Companion. Cool. And, um, you had but, your hair all done up like, oh, Cindy total Hopper punk rocker. Yeah. yeah. But I have the girl <laughs> scout outfit on and everything. It's really great. I kind of sticking it. out. Yeah. And when I was doing it, I felt, you know, I was unprepared. I had no training, no, acting training, no comedy training. I was just totally, it was on, you know, just my, my own intuition basically. And I, and I, I just, you know, and and none of it, I couldn't receive people were like, Oh, you were great. And I just, it didn't land on me. And so I immediately felt like a fake and it's Mm. not me. And I hid and kind of went the other direction. And then in order to get the media for my show, I had to watch this little segment again and I watched it. Uh And I know, and I thought to myself, for someone who doesn't, had no training at all and was just kind of had some rehearsals and had a couple of people help me out, I was like, you know, I, I did okay with it. And, and it's, it's, it's an interesting thing because I, you know, I, I, I've always wanted to be a part of this business. And yet, and some other part of me is like going, yeah, but you know, it's, come on. It's, yeah, it's not, Ugh. yeah, it's not real. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, it's so insecure and, um, it's so frivolous or something, some part of me, like my Midwestern roots say it's just so frivolous. Well, look, I can certainly understand why you would have a lifetime in search of structure. <laughs> <laughs> that makes absolute implicit sense to me and <clears throat> why you would seek it in your own discipline. Too. Yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah, certainly. It, on that day you ran exceptionally on instinct. Yeah. 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 And, and and it's it's interesting after my dad died and now doing this solo show and working with Mr. Provenza and really getting that like I get a chance to take all of this my writing and my performing to a new level. Mm. And 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 claim that I really want to be here and this is what I really want to do and it's it's really scary it's it's exciting but it's also really scary you're fearless when you're up there though yeah you know that how that goes away when you're doing it yeah that's the comedian's thing you yeah know, freak out freak out right light on blink <laughs> hello <laughs> hello everybody how you doing tonight yeah, exactly. you know you ever seen like, like really ancient comics and someone has to help them to the stage but once they're in that light okay get Bing. off me bam stay, posture yep. straightens gets to the mic they're 40 years younger Alive. in one split second. Yeah. And then, yeah. thank you, good night. Back, need my help lumbago, off the stage again. My Something kicks in. Yeah, it's true. That it, other energy kicks in. It, it is. It's bigger than all of us. And it's a crazy thing. A couple of months ago, we were uh, at the Fake Gallery, and, and uh, David Feldman was doing his podcast, and I went out to do a little bit, and I was standing in the back, and I thought to myself, now, isn't this the craziest thing? You show up. And a group of people show up and they all aim their chairs in one direction and there's a there's a flat surface that you're going to walk out on and then there's a, a device that's going to <laughs> amplify your voice and there's going to be lights shining at you huh? and no one else gets to talk but you <laughs> and people pay to watch you do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's 
crazy. It's really strange. It's really strange. But it's wonderful. It is. A bunch of mammals. All will turn and face the well-lit mammal. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that whole bit you do about the light is so and beautiful. Your dad inspired my search for the reductionism mm-hmm. of what was going on there from yes. Place for Your Stuff to look for why we look at something lit. Yes. I absolutely uh. owe him a debt of gratitude for formatting my mind to go on a search for other elemental things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that reductionistic stuff. I, I love that. Um, I, I love, I mean, even just how I just described what it is to be a performer. That was yeah. a reductionism yeah. to its elemental core. Mammals looking at another mammal yeah. mm-hmm. who's saying something that all the other mammals and, agree on. And some of the mammals actually have the desire to be the one who stands in front of the other mammals and gets looked at. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. They get no, inspired by there. seeing Excuse it. Me. My turn. Now, wait, could you please? Is he done yet? Yeah. Is he done yet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's so funny because a, a little part of my brain goes, that means something is broken inside <laughs> of me. <laughs> <laughs> It was, and, yet, and, and is getting repaired by the group approval facing yes, the other way. Yes. It, look, a lot of people have broken. broken. There's no such thing as a, as a completely right. functioning. Everyone has a break. The lucky ones get the turn and face and take the repair work. Right. You know what I really appreciate about the beginning of this um, um, podcast is what you're talking about uh, James Hillman. Yes. And uh, patholo- pathologizing everything. Pathologizing. Pathologizing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Pathologizing is a number. It's, it's almost like a form of apologizing. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's taking something and putting and and um, mm-hmm. uh, so that it's labelable. Like you can yep. label it as opposed. Like yes. one of the things that I grew up with was everybody was all messed up. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, Italian immigrants come. Coming in, seven of them. Like one of them's a tough one. Three, four ladies living together. Like, uh, and my grandmother always saying, you know, like, like, uh, did you like my my uh, sukkel? Did you like my gravy? And the sister would yell out, "That's my gravy, Sarah." <laughs> Stop claiming my gravy. <laughs> and then her sister with the Cleaning metal hip would cling everything out. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, I, I'm just going to keep working here until I'm dead. I mean, it was that. But everyone was a character. Yes. And we love the character. Mm-hmm. What? Ever. But now it seems like, oh, well, that person's got, you know, fibromyalgia. That person has this. Right, that person has right, that. That has right. post-mom stress right. disorder. You can find it in the DSM-4. You know, what can we label that and, and medicate? And what, yes, what drug can we give them? And it bugs me, man. Yeah, that's a good point. That is and your a very... dad gave me the word man. Man. You know what I'm saying, Man. Man. All right, we've run out of time here. And you know what? We didn't even, I, we didn't even, I was going to play some comedy and some other music during the middle of the show, and we didn't even need to do that because, damn it, we are the comedy and the oh, music. We're the special. <laughs> amazing. So I just want to do a couple of shout out thank yous here and find my script. Where's my script? Where's my script? I need my script. Now I've got mine. Thank you very much. Can, uh, can I very briefly talk about the one man show? Yes. Uh, Rick just raised his hand. It was very cute. Oh, thank you. Uh, 11, 11, 11. That's next Friday. I'm going to be doing my one-man show at 9 o'clock because uh, 11 was taken. Uh, <laughs> so 11, 11, 11. Uh, next Friday, I'm going to be at the Acme Comedy Theater, 135 North La Brea uh, Avenue in Hollywood. And it's a show. You can check it out on uh, my Facebook. It's uh, called Rick Overton 
substitute global ambassador. Ooh, it's an you all. You gotta see it. Oh, thank you. You gotta see it. It's, it's brilliant. It's the perfect cohesion of things that Rick says and thinks. And it's a, a Ugh, it's all reductionism it's, oh. and essential stuff. Thanks to your pop. Uh, Damn, I'll be away, but next time I will see it. It's so yes. Good. So good. Uh, so yes, go see Mr. Rick's show. Uh, if you're in LA, please go see it. Uh, because genius will happen. We mm, know that. Thank you. So and go see Kelly's show. Two days uh, later in Mill Valley. In, in the MV. And um, just so people know, my upcoming guests, uh, next week I will not have a show. We're going to have to just mm. have a nice blank space or replay something. Who knows? Okay. Uh, Matt, just let me know. We're going to replay. Don't worry. I, I, got, you, right. I got you covered, baby. Best I got up, you covered. Yeah. And then the following week, I'm having Andrew Cohen, who is um, he's a spiritual teacher. He's ahead of the Enlightened Next uh, magazine and project where he believes in transforming not only people, but the culture fascinating i've had some of people who work with him on the show before he's got a new book out december 1st jay moore is going to be here jay and i i have a feeling we'll be talking the entire time about my father jay is a big huge fan and then december 7th i'm going to have ted alexandro on from new york a fantastic comic who I met last year on Lewis Black's cruise and who told an abortion joke uh, on that cruise that I w- walked right up to him and said, my father would fucking love that joke because it was just <laughs> one of those that just made you cringe and made you think and made you fall in love. So I want to thank everyone who was on Twitter today and asked some questions. Sorry if we did not get to all of them. I want to thank always my listeners and my downloaders. Love my downloaders. Mm. Uh, I want to thank you guys, Rick and Chris, for being here. Sure, you, Cal. Coming Love you, Cal. We'll do this again. Oh, good. It was so fun. It was. I want to thank Matt Cohen, who comes and plugs things in and turns dials and uh, uh, managed, I think, to only have two cigarettes during this show. Nice well work. done, Matt. Good job. Really good. And Kevin Smith for having me on his big, fat, lovely Smodcast, which is growing every, every day. It's the network. I, every time I go on, there's 14 more shows. <laughs> Jesus Christ, wow. people. We're going to, you know what? Fuck the mainstream media. Yeah. We're the mainstream media. Here's the right. new mainstream. That's right. And, uh, of course, I want to thank the big mysterious force of soul that uh, Mr. James Hillman talks mm. about. We're going to leave the show today with a little song called Lorraine by <sighs> Tracy Newman. Oh, my God. Don't make me cry. It's beautiful. <laughs> Just a toothpick of a girl Was making the whole world laugh Live from New York Every Saturday night For a solid gold hour and a half Blinded by the lights And the backstage drama Never knowing the extent of her fame Till Late one night in the lobby of the plaza, John Lennon shouted out her name, Lorraine, Lorraine. If you could see yourself now that the dust has settled after all your stumbling. Rising from the rubble, you'd be so glad you're you. If you could see yourself as I do. 
Watch your two girls swimming as you bask by the pool in the sun. You bring up your hand to shade your eyes, gently caution your little one. Now they're begging you to jump into the pool. You get up and walk slowly to the side. Turn your back to the water, lift your eyes to the sky. Fall straight back with your arms open wide, Lorraine. Lorraine. If you could see yourself now, such a natural mother, like you hopped out of one life into another, you'd be so. Just a toothpick of a girl. 